happy Monday, everyone. Yes, you're still with the UK's Ethan McKinley from the Two Minute Terminator, the podcast, uh, taking you through uh, another episode of the Best Minutes podcast. Now, each week, as you know, if you've just joined us, what are you doing? Go back and listen to the other 35, 36 episodes. We're on 36, damn it. Get on with it, Ethan. Okay, I will. So... Each week, the Movies by Minutes examines the 1946 William Wyler-directed film, The Best Years of Our Lives. One minute of screen time per episode. Now, over to my gracious co-host, my co-pilot, my my intergalactic Chewbacca, who's a big fan of the British comic Viz, if you've not heard of it. Uh, (laughs) Leave it that way. (laughs) But uh, no, we've uh, spent uh, a good old half an hour chin-wagging about British culture. You missed it. What can I say? Uh, Jim O'Kane, you beautiful man. Hello. How are you? Welcome to the show. Oh, I I need to pick pick up my uh, activity level here for a Monday. This is going great. Thanks. Thanks for having me on, Ethan. (laughs) Right. Now, Jim, we are in minute uh, 36. So, listeners, if you've uh, come this far with us, thank you. And if you're just joining us, what are you doing? As I said, try and catch up. Uh, If you've listened thus far, you'll know my intros and outros are getting better, I think. I'm not sure. It is Monday, though. Give me a break. And uh, we are here. What can you tell us about this minute, Jim? We've got uh, Hoagie Carmichael. We've got uh, Harold. My God. Harold Russell. I'm getting the names. I'm I'm doing it. I'm doing it, Mom. Look, no stabilizers. You'll be be fine by Friday. Don't worry. (laughs) We've got Dana Andrews as uh, Fred Derry, of course. Now, Jim, uh, this is one of his favorite films, if not the favorite. But uh, he's going to explain what's going on in this minute. And I'm going to talk about it. Jim. Yeah, we've we've got uh, uh, Butch comes in. He he he's just Uncle uh, Uncle Butch has just seen his nephew Homer walk in the door, and Butch is saying, "Great to see you, kid." He's all excited, and uh, Butch said, "Hey, by the way, your friend uh, the captain here said that you're 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 home." And so of course, uh, Homer looks over and sees his his buddy Fred from the uh, from the airplane trip, and it's a, a yet another homecoming. I mean, they're having a, a we're th- we're half an hour into the movie, and we're already having a, a, another reunion. <laughs> So uh, we get to, and, and of course, in this one, uh, we get to see Homer order his first drink as a as an adult male, and, uh, <laughs> and be able to be able to drink. And uh, we get we get back out here, uh, finding out that uh, uh, Homer has <laughs> Homer's already telling white lies about what was going on with uh, his troubled home life. So quite a minute, quite a minute. So uh, Fred Derry is he Air Force? They're from each different faction of the uh, armed services, aren't they? These three, the three. I guess protagonist, correct? Right. Homer's but Navy, he's, right? Um, he, excuse me, I'm just taking off my. Uh, <laughs> I had a sweater or a jumper, as uh, the Brits call it. Uh, I had a sweater on. It's getting a little warm in my studio here. Um, the uh, yeah, the captain is part of. Well, it would later become the Air Force, but at the time it was the Army Air Corps, part of the U.S. Army. And uh, we have uh, so it's kind of the three major services: the Air Force, Army, and Navy, represented by. Uh, uh, homer and fred and al but really uh fred and al are both in technically in the army so um that would that would continue on until 1947 with the uh, with the establishment of the united states air force but they were pretty really much acting as two different groups as it were in the during the war can i just say just if these guys all went off to enlist at the same time uh, do you go to these three separate entities to enlist? So if Homer picks the, let's say, you, if you go to the drafting office, let's call it, do they assign you? Do you go, I'd like to join the Navy, the Army, or the Air Force? Do you go to each separate entity with the one you particularly want to join? And can they defer you and go, you're no good for us, kid. Try the Army. You could, you could wind up, depending on what your specialty was, if you had any kind of a background in 
flying, you would probably automatically wind up in the Air Corps. There was a there was a shortage of pilots. Right. So would that be, be common for an American man in those times, though, to be to pilot? What, uh, apart from there, I guess it, it farmers not, and it, crop dusters. It would be very un, it would be very uncommon. And uh, uh, so mm-hmm. so what would happen? I mean, we we talked about very early on uh, in in the show. Uh, Homer mentions that this was his he was the first member of his family to ever fly in a plane and of course he's, it's 1946 and he said the entire war to uh, to fly in a plane so it wasn't it wasn't that common a thing it became more common after the war was over people had right. well, for one thing they had uh, spending money and for another thing there were a lot of more aircraft uh, after the war than there were before the war do you know how so, long it oh sorry Karen oh, go, no please do go ahead oh I was going to say how long, it, how long does it take to actually learn to fly what would the training process be how do you join the air force in the 40s it's not a jet fighter is it they no. have those or the the, the beginning beginnings of them i guess yeah i mean the, at the time the p-80s the shooting stars they were known as were uh were the first jets that the americans would be putting together but hardly any anyone in the uh, united states army air corps would be flying a jet propelled aircraft unless they were you know tra- on tra- training or doing research and development right uh, and and the other thing is that um, Fred is really technically not a pilot I mean he has his wings he can fly a plane but his job is a bombardier and the only time he would be flying the plane is when he was getting ready to drop a bomb they uh, the pilot and co-pilot would hand off control of the aircraft to the back of the plane where he was, uh, or to the bottom of the plane, where he was um, zeroing a target on the ground, and then exactly with, with his Nord, with his Norden bomb sight. And so what he what he would basically do is put the plane on cruise control that he's at a certain altitude, flying at a certain airspeed. That information would get fed into the bomb sight, and right. based on what he was looking through, the um, the, the bomb site would adjust for altitude, wind speed, and you know how fast they were going and stuff, and drop the bomb so that they'd hit within uh, 50 yards of where they were supposed to. I presume you'd have to do it ahead of time because as the plane's moving forward, and then I guess wind trajectory, and as it drops, you kind of is it before you're over the target? I assume that you drop it. Yeah, yeah, you're looking you're looking slightly ahead of the of the aircraft, so that that's why he's in the front of the plane because you're right. looking forward of what, what the flight trajectory is. But he was you know, during the time when he was where, dropping. Sorry, where the would bomb, the bombardier be then? At the back of the plane, you said. No, the bombardier's in the front of the plane. The, the tail gunner would be at the back of the plane, right. um, and then there's a ball turret gunner which is just down underneath where the where the bomb bays are. So the bomb yeah. bay would open up behind. So the, a, a a mem- like a Memphis Bell type aircraft. Right, yeah, the yeah, uh, D- yeah. B seventeen, like we saw at the beginning of the movie. Yes. So and he would be so he would be sitting or kneeling on that on, on that big uh, bubble front, uh, looking through a bomb site, getting ready to drop uh, bombs on the target. Several you know several tons of of uh, high explosives, mm. and uh, he did that for. Oh, let's see. Well, he's, he's showing if you look at the uh, around second five, you can see uh, Fred is leaning on his. Uh, on his arm and on his arm are service stripes that tells you how many six month periods he was in on the so forearm one, yes so there's five i think there's five there so he's been yep. there for two and a half years right he's been in service so sometime in late 42 early 43 he joined up and right. uh and so he's been you know he's been in as part of the campaign since well since i, I guess he, he arrived in britain the same time as most of the other members of the eighth yeah. air force would be in early 1943 and the thing on his wrist is that just a personal item of jewelry, or is it uh, his it, dog tag essentially, or his post? His, it's I've left it's the his, army dog tag. It's his personal. It's a. It's his personal bit of jewelry. It's just oh, a okay. name. His nameplate. He he'd be wearing dog tags, or he's probably not wearing dog tags now. Yeah. But that sometimes uh, people just wore their their you know insignia on a on an armband. 
Now, I'm going to go out on a limb here and assume, well, I don't know this, let's ask the question anyway, but uh, who would be the least likely person to suffer from major PTSD? Would it be like the bombing crews because they're not on the ground seeing blood and guts? It's kind of a remote thing, or am I wrong? No, that's uh, that would be wrong because remember they're getting shot at. <laughs> so well, I know that of course, there's, yes. But, yeah, there's yeah. Fla- yeah, there's flak okay. being blown all around them. They're seeing people being injured in their aircraft. They of course, have, you know, yes. while, while yeah, they're yeah, being yeah. while they're injured, of course, the plane is suffering or, damage. Or if one of the pods uh, gets shot off, or they see someone just you know take a hail yeah. of bullets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Understood. Yeah. So <laughs> it's a uh, yeah. I think they. they I, I would you know for for me I would think that. Uh, uh, Homer's position on you know below decks on an aircraft carrier, you're not seeing what's going on outside. You're just hearing noise, and then all of a sudden the boat starts sinking. Yeah. So I, I <laughs> none of them are none of them had a great time in the army. Uh, Al, as as we learned from Al, he was uh, in infantry and he was an NCO, uh, and he talks about I feel like I'm hitting a beach. So he apparently yeah. was in the Pacific, right, and doing the island hopping. Uh, to get back to uh, to Japan, so he, sure. he probably fought in, um, you know, in the Philippines. And we're going to talk about that tomorrow. Actually, there's 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 a battle that uh, Al and Homer were in, and we can talk about uh, tomorrow. A particularly brutal one at the end, uh, at the beginning of 1945. Because yeah. I think with the drone pilots now, they just get these kids who are really good at video games, don't they? But yeah. then I'm not sure if there's. A, I think there's a film with Anthony Mackie on Netflix right now about the kind of that about that. But it's. Uh, I think there's been a couple of films about people suffering PTSD. Even though you're not actually there, you're in an office somewhere in the Pentagon, piloting a drone. When the realization, I guess, hits you that you've been like killing people by just by essentially playing a video game of sorts. Yeah, it's. Uh, yeah. It, it's. It has real consequences rather than yeah. high scores. Yeah. Um. It's. Uh, it's a tough thing. I've. I've. <laughs> I had a. a I won't mention the mention the friend, but uh, I had uh, friends in uh, Signal Corps, the mm. uh, Army Signal Corps, and they were responsible for uh, intercepting uh, radio transmissions for uh, the Soviets and the and the and Korea and things like that. And they actually were uh, listening in when the uh, uh, when the Soviets shot down KAL Flight Seven right. over, uh, and uh, they. They had a rough a rough go on that, and needed a, a, quite a bit of therapy listening in, and they they all spoke fluent Russian, right? And um, you know, just listening to the pilots saying, "Well, we're we're taking them down now," and and uh, they the Soviet pilots realized that it wasn't a it, it wasn't a military aircraft; they were just shooting down a commercial liner, and uh, you sounds know, like it, the Lockerbie I, thing, doesn't it, from the eighties? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's uh, a difficult you know a difficult time, but I know that they had to go through. Uh, quite a bit of therapy after that from just hearing the horrific nature of what mm. the you know what was going on up in the sky, and they were listening to it live via you know satellite and stuff like that. Mm. What would the therapy entail? Do you think to kind of get someone to come to terms with or kind of bury these demons, as it were? I, mean, I, I would I would guess it would be talk, talking about it, talking about your feelings, and being able to uh, you know sort out what you're feeling versus mm. what you can do and what you can't do. I mean, it's uh, a lot of times, I think therapy involves uh, your circles of control of how big, you know, if, if you have control over a situation, then you feel responsibility. But if you don't have control over the situation, you have to kind of rationalize to yourself, well, I don't have control over the situation. I'm just yeah. listening. I'm not, it's my job is to listen. I can't, there's nothing I can do to interfere. I can't push a button and knock the Soviets out of the, out of the sky. I yeah. can't, you know, that's just killing more people. Mm. So it's a, you know, it's a terrible, terrible thing to have to listen to or witness, but that's, that's the job they're doing. So, um, I imagine air traffic control is quite a stressful job as well. 
Yeah, I would. I would think. Um, it's that, so what's his name? Uh, I think Angelina Jolie's in the film with uh, Billy. What's his name? Her previous husband. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Is it Pushing uh, Tin? Yeah, B- yeah, Billy Thornton. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, which my uh, my co-host on Apollo thirteen uh, says it's one of, it's one of his favorite. He's he's of course an air tra- a former air tra- traffic controller, and uh, my my co-host Chris Henry talks about how that is one of those. Uh, if you're in air traffic control, you have a copy. Uh, you know, with the basically with the tra- with the tracks worn off it from watching it so many times. <laughs> it's your Bible movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, very much a thing. Um, but it's yeah. It, this is a great minute in terms of how many. Uh, you know, we had a bit of sadness with with uh, Homer while he was at home being super awkward with civilians. Mm. But here he's back with one of his uh, you know warriors in arms, and uh, the everybody here is a lot more. Uh, they're not asking him a million questions about things other than what yeah. do you have? So uh, <laughs> we get with, uh, with wonderful Steve, the bartender there. I was going to say, uh, Ho- I'm going to come to Steve in a minute, but Hoagie and Hoagie's not seen him since he's come back from the war. This is the first time he's, they're seeing each other. So I'm just trying to think, cause I watched this clip. I must've missed it. Does he mention his hooks to Hoagie? Not at all. No, oh. he, um, he 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 doesn't even. I, I noticed that he doesn't even scan him up and down and say, you know, oh, you've got your hooks in, or you know, he does, he isn't. He doesn't notice that. He he seems you know he gives a he gives Homer a hug at the beginning of this minute, and apart from the the scene where Homer is uh, offering Steve his his uh, you know hook to shake, yeah, uh, Hoagie never looks at those hooks. No. So and and it's interesting. I mean, I'm sure there that. You know, in in regular life, there must be people who all they do is focus on his uh, his prosthetics, and there's other people that I okay, it's just a guy. Especially, well, I imagine in real life, if, if there's like children around, they'll stare or go, "Why is why are his hands like that?" and stuff. So, yeah, yeah, yeah well, it's you know, it's honesty, I and mean, I'm sure I'm sure uh, that Harold Russell dealt with that in his life, and yeah, you know, probably probably liked honesty a little bit better than uh, uh, than just people trying to cover it up or ignoring stuff. Yeah, I, I imagine how he just put his foot in it constantly. Go, hey, do you want to play chopsticks? Oh, I'm sorry, just, sorry. damn it. Okay. Well, we'll, we'll be getting to that, don't but that's. <laughs> but sorry, you mentioned Donald Kerr, the bartender. Do you know anything about this man? I tried to look him up. I found it now, and uh, actually, what my uh, little kind of oh, that's cool, link to this because I watched these as a kid. Weirdly, uh, they used to be on BBC Two quite a lot around six p.m. Uh, he's in the old Flash Gordon serials as. Uh, oh, really? Happy Hapgood, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm not aware. So he's uh, he's uh, buddies with uh, Buster Crab. <laughs> yeah, Larry Crab. Uh, I'll wow. send you a link to that through the uh, the thing now. See if Very you click cool. that. That's Donald Kerr's IMDb. And yes, he's got uh, a ton of credits, but a lot of them, especially in the I think the twenties and thirties, uh, uncredited. In fact, all the way up to the forties, mostly uncredited. Wow. So I'm not sure if he was like a talking extra or. I mean, we discussed this on, the, on I think Friday's episode or Thursday's about the studio players and what you would have to do and why so many were uncredited. I guess that's because the the credits are short. Yeah, and he's not, yeah, he's not a feature player and no. probably not not a big draw. But that's it's... one thing I didn't ask Jim. Uh, how would you prove you're in these things? You could just go, oh, I'm in that, even though you're not credited or not on the actual movie credits. <laughs> I, I, maybe sending them a copy of your pay stub or something. I don't yeah. know. If, uh, if he's, <laughs> I would doubt that he's getting residuals. Well, he he has got so many credits, this man. It'd be like a book of carpet samples if he had a pay stub for every single thing he was in. <laughs> seriously. Or even like, yeah, the raffle ticket bu- uh, book you'd have. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Here we go. Look at it. Yeah. And, I mean, he just—it's not too bad. I mean, it's only this is his big scene. Mm. He's probably probably there for two days on on set, one for this and 
One for when he's in the background while the yeah. others are, are doing their job. He's probably doing three movies a day by the look of his credits here. It's ridiculous. It's uh, wow. yeah. yeah. The Devil's <laughs> Bait with Bella Lugosi. One Shot McGuire played in that. Uh, Government Girl with uh, Olivia de Havilland. Wow. Wow. Petticoat oh. Junction, he played a salesman. So, yeah, really? he goes all the way up until the 60s, basically. But most, 99%, I'd say, is uncredited. Elevator Operator in Going My Way, the TV series. Oh. This poor guy, wow. he sounds but, like me. Hey, steady work, though. You know, never never, never turn down steady work. It's better oh, God, to get, no. the, get the paycheck than get the name on the marquee. <laughs> um, I, well, the reason I mentioned Flash Gordon, he was kind of an actual character in that, and he just kind of just ends up being uncredited for all the stuff after that. But he was... He's, yeah, very well, strange. Now, yeah, Ethan, you've been a day player. You've been on for you know one shot doing I three lines or something like that. Uh, how do you how do you get along with the regular crew there? That I mean, the people that are in for the long haul. Do you do you interact with them? Ah, or how does well, it's it... funny you say that because Hugh McGregor mentioned this in an interview I watched recently. He said the most stressful thing you can be on any set is that day player, whether you're in a TV show or a film. You're only coming in for a day or half a day. They want to get in, D-line, get rid of you. And then you're standing in front of you, McGregor, Jack Nicholson, you know, some big star. And he said the biggest stress he ever had was in the early days when you're just thrust onto a set. You've got the part, great. And then you're in front of someone you recognize as very famous, who you might find obviously quite daunting to work with. And uh, it's quite, and it is, it's quite... Uh, you're like, oh, Christ, this is so-and-so from this thing, and I've got to do my, you know. So to get out of your own head sometimes is quite difficult. But Ewan said that. He said, I go above and beyond and bend over backwards to make them uncomfortable, not uncomfortable, comfortable, because uh, sometimes the pivotalness of a scene rests on this one person that comes in, and they're not a famous actor, and they're not, uh, you know, going to be here tomorrow. You can't form a bond that you're going to have some chemistry with. they just got to go in there and switch it on. And I agree with that. It's probably the most stressful thing you can do because you're not kind of part of it you're just kind of going in and you've got to do your thing <laughs> knock it out of the park and then you're out of there like you know if, you, if you're lucky you'll get an entire day shooting but mostly it's like yeah that'll do you're like i didn't get it i, I don't know <laughs> i um I, I i remember uh gosh now i can't remember who it was that told me this it was a producer no it was a director um uh, the name escapes me. I, um, they were uh, they were talking about the difficulty. This is for TV series. Yeah. Uh, the, these parts, the day parts. Uh, he referred to them as uh, bungee bits because it's <laughs> like you you come in like you're on a bungee and then you get shot right back out. Yeah. So uh, try, trying to tr trying to track down. Uh, you know, do we do we get all the coverage we need? Are we going to have this guy back for another? Because if you've got a crew, if you get somebody that's a featured player, well, they're going to be there. So if you have to do a pickup shot later on, you just build a small set and say, okay, save these five lines. But if it's, <laughs> if it's just if it's a bungee bit, you got to find them again, and they might yeah. be going doing a Clairol commercial in the next you know the next week, and you can't. Get, so you get to like, okay, we're going to have to schedule this, or that, or we're going to have to yeah. cut the whole scene and do it over with somebody else. So I mean, it's, it's, I think in some of these cases, particularly if it's somebody, I mean, we, I think we've covered this because we did Into the Night Minutes. Yeah. Uh, John Landis peppers his films with these kind of things, but he rarely uses actors. He like, I think it's Spies Like Us as Ray Harryhausen, Into the Night. There's uh, Rick Baker, the special effects genius. Dee Dee right. Pfeiffer, Michelle's 
uh, Pfeiffer's thing. So I think a lot of John Landis films, she's trying to pick like crew. I think there's that desert scene in Spies Like Us when it's kind of Ray Harryhausen, Terry Gilliam, yes. uh, Derek Meddings, who's the uh, model make from Thunderbirds and the Bond films and things. Really kind of obscure people in some cases. Yeah, yeah. Or like you're seeing in, in Into the Night, you, you just walk by and it's Jim Henson who has yes. three lines on a telephone. And you're like, wait, wasn't that Jim Henson? Yes. Oh, my God. <laughs> Or uh, or even in you know like the Blues Brothers you have uh, Frank you have Spiel- Oz, Spielberg, uh, Spielberg. Frank Oz. yeah, yeah. Just, the just Cook County Assessor, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know it, it, it's I mean it, it's nice seeing them, but oh Gremlins, I, Spielberg again I think, right, and then it's someone yeah. else in the, the phone booth when Hoy Axton's on the phone to Billy at home. <laughs> yeah, it's, I mean it's and I guess the the good thing about that is they can finally find out how hard it is to do what you do on, oh, <laughs> on yeah, screen completely. and make it sound reasonable. Yeah. Um, but it's, uh, I, I really think, I, I know like all, here in the scene, uh, Harold Russell is, is surrounded by three old, you know, stage huffers. Yeah. And they all, this, those three guys know what they're doing and it seems like they're, they're lifting this guy up. I mean, they're really making sure that he's playing off the easiest roles ever. And uh, this, this one, he's got a lot of words in it. He's got a, he's got some actions and he's yeah. got a, He's really got to sell it that he's yeah. I've always I've waited for this minute to get a drink from Steve and getting you know order give me a whiskey and uh, you know and Uncle Butch shooting him down saying now draw a beer for the for the Navy here. Um, but yeah. he's uh, he does I think he does a, a really adequate job for 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 this role. It's, what it's Harold great. Russell? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, he's he's got a nice flow to him and he's very kind of natural. So, yeah, but again, yeah. uh, speaking like to for him, I think. Getting this role, learning all these lines in a two-hour, what is it, 50-minute movie? Yeah. My God, what a daunting task, especially with, I'm sure, people he recognized like Dana Andrews and Hoagie and stuff. He's like very famous uh, actors at the time or musicians go, Christ, I'm like, I mean, I've had this before. Yeah, so. yeah, it's... <laughs> <laughs> He used to be packing TNT on a on a field in South Carolina, and all yeah. of a sudden, you know, all he had to do was lose his hand, and he met all these stars. But uh, yeah, I know it's it's stunning. Um, well, I've I, had I, this I, when I did that Dark Ditties show for what is it, Amazon. I was in the entire episode with Ian Gelder, and Ian Gelder's like one of the Lannisters from Game of Thrones. Yeah. Um, I guess like the average Joe wouldn't go, oh, but I knew who he was. I was like, oh my god, I've got to do all this acting with bloody Ian Ian Gelder. Oh my god! But once you get on the set and they're lovely, you go. Oh, it's just a regular person. This is cool. We'll have a few runs of it. They're obviously very helpful and accommodating and things. So uh, yeah, I think it's just the idea. I, I think it's like anything in life, isn't it? It's the day before the test or the big trip or the this yeah. or the that. Once you're in the middle of it, you're like, oh, what was I worried about? Everyone's cool. I'm fine. I've, I've, you know, I've studied. I know my lines, or I've, you know, I've prepared myself for this thing I'm doing in life. Once you're in the middle of doing it, you're, you're okay. But it's just that anticipation that going over the roller coaster going click 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 before you go and down the other side isn't it the, the relief yeah yeah it's it's i mean when i when i started out doing my interviews for uh for my tv dad's website yes. and my my first one up was dan Aykroyd. yeah and the idea that i could have a conversation with him i say like, i've got you know why would he give me the time of day i'm this <laughs> nobody that's running a website exactly and i asked him the right question and he pulled me aside and gave me a you know gave me a 10 minute answer and <laughs> After that, I was like, well, if I can get was Dan it about Aykroyd. the paranormal? <laughs> yeah, no, it was. It was surprisingly he was in a, he was in an ABC show called. Um, uh, now I can't think of the name of the show. Oh, I feel bad, but uh, <laughs> he was a single dad on a on a show where he was a he was the pastor of a church. 
and uh, so he uh, oh Soul Man that was the name of the Soul that was Man. the name of the show okay. Soul yep. Man yeah that's it and he was a single dad and so the show was going really good but they wanted him uh, ABC J, uh, J, Jamie Charsis who was the head of uh, ABC Television. Uh, wanted them to change the format. And he's like, no, I'm not going to change the format. If you don't want the format uh, the way I'm making this mo- this show, then uh, you can just cancel the show. So Jay Tarsus did cancel the show. Okay. And, what was the hook uh, of the show? What was the what was the he, thing that made made you want to watch it and stuff? He's a single he was a single dad, and he ran a he was a pastor of a church. So he it was kind of like um what should we call it the uh, Vicar Dibley kind of a thing. Only it's, yeah. it, it said it's a guy. Do you and, get that in the states? Oh yeah, yeah, that's oh, on okay. PBS all the time. Yeah, and <laughs> we, we have PBC America. It's all, it's all around. Don't worry. <laughs> so, so it's like it's it's like that. Picture Vicar Dibley, except the uh, main character is uh, Dan Aykroyd, and so and he's and he's got three kids. Okay. And so it's the, you know, uh, he, he would he would say stuff to his kids like, "Don't don't make. Do you want me to make you the subject of next week's <laughs> sermon?" That kind of stuff. So just goofy goofy things. It was it was good. He did a he did a good job. I don't think. He really wasn't built for primetime TV. He's better in movies, better in you know late night stuff like that. Um, mm. But he, it, the screen was too small for him, I think. But what is was, that because he it was wasn't as raunchy perhaps as the stuff he used to do, or this or that? It, or no? it was he had to be, he had to be less broad. He yeah. couldn't be. I mean, you know, and he was in. He he was he's he's been in dramas. Coward hats. He, yeah, he, he's been he's been in he's been in dramas like uh, Driving Miss Daisy. He was uh, you know Daisy's son. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, but, by the way, sorry to stop the show, everyone. That's another classic film I've not seen. Oh uh, well, somewhere <laughs> still got the plastic. Put it, on. Put it on the list. <laughs> You're just gonna be a stack on your DVD. Going to watch these. But yeah, it's uh, he's he's good in certain things, and I, I think that television was a bit too broad. He's more the show was would have been better if it were like a. SNL type character. thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. He needed he needed some other outlet. Yeah. Anyway, it was it was interesting, but he um he he was just such a normal guy with me. I realized, well, if I just treat everybody else like, and it's I mean it's it's a simple obvious thing when you say to yourself uh, away from away from the situation. If you just treat stars like normal people, they can talk like normal people. If you mm. treat them like they're you know like like they are just to be uh, edified and adored. They don't want that, they, no. you, or you won't get a you won't get a reasonable. You'll get an act of them. So that, that's my 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 hint. tips and tricks for uh, talking to celebrities. Almost like if you're trying to talk to a pretty girl, here's a little dating tip for you folks. These pretty girls get told they're amazing and beautiful all the time. If you're a little bit cheeky with them and kind of be the antithesis of that, they go, "Oh, this guy's interesting." <laughs> so yeah, if you're trying to sleep with Dan Aykroyd or a pretty girl, I'm sure it's the same approach. That's what Jim's saying. Well, I met I met his <laughs> wife. His wife Donna Dixon was stunning, and I met I met her. Uh, well, he's still she, married to her, isn't he? Because I looked. Yeah. I can't remember. Oh, I watched that uh, cleaning up the town documentary about Ghostbusters, and I was like, I wonder if Dan Aykroyd's married. And I was like, Oh my God, Donna Dixon from uh, Spies Like Us and all these other well, Aykroyd movies. But yeah, she yeah, still yeah. looks great. Yeah, she was in. Uh, she she got her big start in uh, Bosom Buddies with Tom Hanks. That's it. Yeah, and they stayed and, together as well, which I think is remarkable yeah, for Hollywood. Yeah, a charming lady too. I her. Uh, the place I met them at was in uh, Winchester, Virginia. I used to live in Winchester, Virginia, mm. and every year they'd have an apple blossom festival, and he was named like the Apple Blossom Festival Grand Marshal or something like that. <laughs> but the way he wound up, they the, what they would do is uh, people in town, uh, using their connections and hooks with other people, they'd find relatives <laughs> who they would name like the Shenandoah Apple Blossom Queen, and they you know they and so they'd have to bring in their famous brother or or cousin or something like that. Okay, Donna Donna Dixon. 
uh, her her dad was the largest beer distributor in Northern Virginia, and he was also on the Shenandoah Apple Blossom Committee. So it was, why don't you ask your daughter if you can get her husband to show up and be on the Grand Marshal? So <laughs> through hooker, hooker by Crook, they got him up on a you know on a fire truck waving at crowds and. What am I doing here? So, uh, like some debutante from the school prom. Exactly, exactly. But you know, he he played along with it, and Donna made her dad happy. So it was win win all around. Yeah. Uh wow. Well, um, this has gone far, <laughs> far afield from this minute, but I think it it kind of gives you an idea where where Harold Russell is at the moment. He's surrounded. Uh, you well, know, he's surrounded by friends and loved ones, and that's yeah, uh, that's he, as he good managed, as a place of any to be. He managed to to hold his own with three celeb or two celebs and a guy from flash gordon <laughs> well you know what i've got a little piece of trivia that can drag you back onto the clip dana andrews right he's yes. in one of my favorite films the british horror thriller uh well you call it curse of the demon it's called night of the demon in the uk yes he's in that great great movie obviously famous for the end where uh there's the i guess the devil himself on top of that train it's classic yeah. classic movie moment uh, he he really it's it's amazing how long his career lasted and he was yeah. willing to I, I think it's just mostly he's willing to work he'll do he'll do horror movies i mean he for heaven's sakes he did uh, airport 77 <laughs> <laughs> oh my god we're back yeah we're back we're back but that, that's not airport is it it's airport 77 right yeah airport yeah. 77 that's right yeah yeah is that the one where they're he, stuck underwater exactly yeah, Jack that's Lemon. the one i remember more than anything i think yeah it's, i need it's, to revisit the rest of that uh is it five films uh, let's see. There was uh, Airport. There was Airport 75, 77, and 79. So four films. 79 was The Concord. That's it. And, is it uh, is 70... that, that was the subtitle, wasn't it? The Concord, I think. The right? Concord, yes, yeah. yes. Airport 75 <laughs> was the uh, 747. The... Oh, I'm sorry. I totally uh, botched that one. It... Dana Andrews is not in Airport 77. Dana oh. Andrews is in Airport 75. He's flying a Beechcraft uh, Bonanza, I believe. What happens to the plane he, in 75? He cr- uh, he crashes. Uh, Dana Andrews has a heart attack. Okay. He's flying, he's flying and ignoring <laughs> his thing. He has a heart attack and plows into a 747 that's powered, that's uh, piloted by Ephraim Zemblis Jr., who gets uh, almost killed. Who I think and- is Alfred in the Batman animated series. Yes, yeah, yeah. He's uh, so Efren Zembalis Jr. gets uh, gets incapacitated, and they have to turn it over to a gasp woman to fly the plane, played by uh, none other than Karen Black. Oh, who, I like her. Well, weirdly, Karen, Karen Black is kind of ugly, sexy. She's got like a bit boss eyed, and you're like, she's kind of not right, but I kind of like her a lot. I'm weirdly gets, attracted to Karen Black. I don't know why. <laughs> she, she gets she gets to cry her way through, um, and she's also her and Karen's black. Karen Black's boyfriend, there's a tongue twister, Karen Black's boyfriend is played by Charlton Heston. Ah, Charlton Heston. Charlton Heston. <laughs> all, all lower teeth in this movie. Get he your all stinking of paws off me, you damn dirty ape. Yes, the the, the film the uh, the film line for, for uh, Mr. Heston in this one is, climb, baby, climb. <laughs> climb, baby. Oh, and he's he's screaming he's screaming this over all the microphone. bottom teeth. Yeah, <laughs> all she's doing is pulling back on the uh, on the yoke and pushing the throttle forward. Climb, babe. So, ah, uh, but great. Now, some someday I must do Airport seventy five. But it's, there you uh, go. He's in another one of my unwatched Blu-rays, The Satan Bug. There we go, Dana Andrews. <laughs> oh, you haven't seen Satan Bug? Oh, no. yes. That good Underline movie. That one. That's a good one. After okay. that's an After Dark Room. Yes. Yeah, Richard Basar, Anne Francis, Dana Andrews, and George Maharis. Damn. Yeah. I'm really, I'm really wow. blown up on my old movie. Oh, Twilight Zone, No Time Like the Past. Yes. Another one. Yes. Yeah. 
He's everywhere. He's just just simply. But you know, I, I always think that that's a sign that people like to work with you. That you're yeah. easy to easy to do the job. I always get that picture about Michael Caine. Michael Caine gets in everything because I think he's easy to work with, and he'll say whatever. Including he, whatever Jaws: he, The Revenge. Yeah. <laughs> my mom my mom wanted a bungalow. I think he said or something like that. <laughs> my mom wanted a bigger house, so I did it. <laughs> Yeah, you're right. He worked. He went right from 1940 all the way up to 1984. Prince Jack, uh, Falcon Crest, The Love yes. Boat. They were his last three credits. Wow. Damn. Yeah. Dana Andre is working. You knew, yeah. He knew how to keep that hospitalization going. So uh, yeah. Zero yeah. Hour, Laura. Yeah. Zero Gene Tierney and Dana Andrews. Yeah. The wow. basis of Airplane was Zero Hour. So, yeah, he knew, knew what he was doing. And, yeah, the classic Laura. So... Uh, wow. Oh, I was well, going to say, Jim, you, I, I know you're trying to wrap this up, but I'm just oh. one more thing. I forgot to say yesterday, uh, Don Bedder and Myrna Loy uh, were in a film together called The Bachelor and the Bobby Sox are from 1947. Oh, so, yes. Yeah. A great comedy. Oh, very good. Yeah. Um, Another wow. one I've yeah, not seen. It, it, it's all there. It's... <laughs> It's, it, these are these are things when I've when I've turned on uh, Turner Classic Movies here on the cable system. Uh, it's oh, I got to sit down and watch this movie now. It's another. Yeah, <laughs> is that still a thing, Turner Classic Movies? Oh yes, yes, yeah. yeah. We're ha- we have it on our uh, on our. We had it here in the nineties in the UK, I and mean, it's not really on anything anymore, sadly. But I used to watch it's, a lot of old films on there. What's the What's the British version of HBO Max? I've forgotten what they've. Uh, I don't uh, know because all we have kind of streaming wise is Netflix and. Well, uh, Amazon uh, Prime and is is Wonder Woman available streaming? Yes, but we don't have HBO Max here. It's actually on uh, Amazon Prime. You have to buy it as a separate entity for like twenty dollars or something. Yeah, I think yeah. I think if in there you can you can kind of burrow your way into the TCM library. They have a a library of you know six or seven hundred movies that I, I I have to avoid. I have to avoid pressing that on my TV because I'll, I'll lose a day or two just going. I've got to watch this now. I've got to watch that now. Yeah. So it's. Uh, I know terrible. if you've got an Amazon Fire Stick, you, there's a few like apps you can download or channels that uh, are free, but it's just old movies constantly. I'll try. Yeah. I'll, fi- I'll try and figure out ways for another few trips episode to tell everyone. Ah, beautiful <sighs> stuff. Wow. Well, uh, a good minute. I think this was a this, good minute, this, and I forgot to mention the pinball machine. We can come to that in the oh, next episode. Oh, we can. Yes, we can talk. We can talk pinball and yep. uh, Gottlieb and all that. So yeah, we'll, we'll pick that up uh, on tomorrow's episode. Yes, sir. Right, everyone. Hope you enjoyed Monday's episode. Uh, now you can find uh, this show along with many others at the Best Minutes Podcast on uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, or at the main site, thebestminute.com. Best minutes, plural, Ethan. For God's sake, I'm going to get this right for Friday. <laughs> Now, if you want to discuss anything uh, in this uh, wonderful uh, classic film, uh, you can go to Butch's Place, the best years of our lives listeners podcast. Start again. I knew I'd mess it up. Let's start again. So if you want to discuss anything to do with this uh, wonderful film, ladies and gentlemen, you can go to Facebook uh, and the page is Butch's Place, the best years of our lives listeners cafe. Uh, and it's also on Twitter and at thebestminutes.com. You can uh, find any of those three outlets where you can ask Jim, me, or any of the other people contributing to the show uh, a question. If it's asking me what classic films I haven't seen are wrapped in plastic, I'm happy to accommodate. Uh, <laughs> at this point, I think my computer's going to run out with notes I'm making, things I need to see that, weirdly, I already own. Anyway, uh, <laughs> there we have it. Uh, just to let you know, there's another 180 f- or so plus uh, minute shows out there. So if this film is not your cup of tea, 
Uh, I strongly suggest it is, though, and keep listening because we need we need you. We need you. Uh, you can find about 180 other shows at uh, moviesbyminutes.com. If there's a movie you love out there, I'm quite sure there's a minute show uh, for you, uh, including ones Jim's done, Airport 70, uh, with me for a few episodes, uh, Into the Night Minutes, my favourite film, uh, Ghostbusters, Back to the Future, anything, uh, it's all there. So I'm just going to hand over to my co-pilot in training, the man who was educating me, not only on this film, but uh, things I, I've missed and should be seeing. So thank you, Jim. Another wonderful episode. I cannot wait to get started for Tuesday. Uh, where can the wonderful listeners find you, sir? You can find me on, uh, very easy to find, uh, jimokane.com, J-I-M-O-K-A-N-E.com. And hopefully I have it all up to date. I'm, I haven't been there in a while, but I think things are pointing to all the right stuff. But you can yes. check, check there for me. Uh, one thing I... I keep forgetting to ask people to do if you if you are listening to us please uh like and subscribe and do all those normal things that you do on uh, apple podcasts and stuff uh reviews always help even it helps push, push us up the uh, up the charts doesn't it yes just get more eyes the, on us yeah so uh if you could if you could like and subscribe mm -hmm. and click the one with where were the most uh, stars are we'd appreciate that very much but uh thank you any for, for listening and uh, i guess we'll see you t tomorrow here on the best minutes Woohoo! See you later, folks. We love you. Come back tomorrow. We'll uh, see. I'm talking too much, Jim. Uh, by the way, sorry, ruining the show again. Uh, are we the longest shows when we do them? Because what's the... <laughs> I, we may be whole... Yeah, we're, well, it's a 170 minute movie, so we gotta. <laughs> okay, these are like double, th triple length episodes, aren't they? But yeah, uh... this, is, this is good. People are people are sitting in their cars waiting for us to finish. I'm sure. Beautiful. Okay, sorry everyone. Wrap it up. Get off my show, Ethan. <laughs> Take care. We'll see you tomorrow here Bye. on the Best Minutes Podcast. Joe, you better hurry up out there because she's taking off soon. Right, thanks. Come on, Taylor.